Over the last two decades, I've been in an insatiable quest to learn everything I can about leadership. What makes the best leaders so good? After running companies small and large over the last 20 years, today, I speak on stages all across the world to audiences who are interested in that same question. My name's John Laredo. I'm your host, and I invite you to join me on this journey as we explore this very topic and what makes the best leader so good. Welcome to Tomorrow's Leader. All right, Tomorrow's Leaders. So I have Clint Runge, who's a CEO of a firm called Arch Rival. Basically, they help big name brands like Adidas, Red Bull, and other companies like that tap into the right kind of branding and marketing for a younger generation. There's a lot of leadership lessons in this podcast. I think some of the struggles leaders have is leading a very diverse workplace. And and what Clint brought out, which was like some total mind-bending stuff that I hadn't really thought about was just how different different generations are and, and some ways to really tap into that. So this is a really good engaging podcast with some really good action steps. I know you're going to like it. And by the way, this guy is a mentalist. We didn't even get into that. I just, I, I we had so much other stuff going on. I'm going to have to bring him back on and have him do his mentalism on me or something. I don't know. I'm fascinated by that. But I mean, you know, how can that even be like number three or four in your bio? That's got to be like right front and center. I'd be, hey, I'm a mentalist. Whatever you're thinking, I know what you're thinking. That's it. And by the way, I'm also this. I don't know. I'd, I'd have that as my my title. Okay, well, enough of this. So here is Clint Runge. All right, welcome to the show, Tomorrow's Leaders. I am here with Clint Runge, the CEO of ArchRival in Lincoln, Nebraska. Clint, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely, man. And I know most of our audience is listening. They can't see that really, really cool background that you've got, which is <laughs> awesome. Everybody needs to tune into the YouTube channel and they'll see it. Uh, very, very cool stuff. I'm a background guy. So yeah, the uh, the LED lights they go with the voice. So every time I speak, they go off. It's kind oh of oh my god! I didn't even realize that. That's all, that's even better. <laughs> that was cool before, and they just took it to a whole another level of coolness. Yeah. That's neat. All right. Uh, cool. Well, listen, let's let's get into some stuff. There's a lot that I'd love to talk to you about. I know the listeners can really learn a lot from you. You're leading an organization um, that really you're 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 in deep in the uh, in a certain part of the demographic that I think a lot of leaders sometimes struggle with candidly. And I want to get to that. But I, one of the things you said in a uh, prior conversation is you talked about living a creative lifestyle. And I want to I want to yeah. understand that a little bit from you. What does that mean? I know that's important to you and you you have some some thoughts around that and a mantra around that. What is what does that all mean? Well, I'm in the creative business and I've always wanted to be in the creative business. And uh, when I was early on going through school, I went through architecture school, I was going through advertising school. I, I just really felt like, you know, what, how do you become a great creative? And the elephant in the room I found in, in, in uh, back then and even today is people want you to be creative. They want great ideas. They want new game changing entrepreneurial uh, concepts, but where does this stuff come from? You know, and so early on in my career, I was like, you know what? I, I don't feel like I'm getting it out of school. I think it feels a lot too formulaic. And so I went and interviewed the best creatives in the world. I just went and visited them uh, on my own dime and just I, I wanted to learn from them. 
And after about 20, 25 or so of doing these, I, I realized that what I was looking for was just, it was misplaced. The secret to being a great creative had nothing to do with your education and some of the like formulas, although all that stuff's very important as a, as a foundation. The real secret just lit was in how you live your lifestyle. And so early on, I I mimicked and I followed and um, thought to myself, well, that's how I want to live my life. How you live your life dictates your ability to be a great creative. And, you know, that has really uh, been great for me. And what does that look like? So and I hear you on that because I feel like there's days where I feel like I have it or periods of time where I do and then I, periods of time where I don't. Um, what does that look like to live a lifestyle that kind of helps that and breeds that creativity? Yeah, I, I actually, I came up with about 10 different things. I'll just, I'll give you a couple nuggets here. Uh, the first one won't even surprise you at all. It's just who you surround yourself with, right? I mean, there are people who take things from you and they soak you of everything. And then there's others that give and um, having that in balance was just something I realized was incredibly important. There's at least little things like golden nuggets. There's There's people that whenever you talk to them, they give you energy, right? And it's not, it's typically not um, your best friend or your spouse or someone you're dating. It's typically someone that's on your periphery. And what I found is the best creatives in the world, they stay in touch with those people because every time they talk to them, they walk away from that coffee or that beer or, or, or having a phone call, whatever it is, they walk away energized with goosebumps and ready to tackle the world again. And I, and I knew exactly who those people were in my life and I have kept them in my life since then. That's been, and I, I know that has been uh, very meaningful to me. Um, the second one was actually the space in which you live. So um, think about how much time you spend at an office, how much time you spend at home, uh, wherever you do your work, you do your best thinking. Typically, um, people aren't, they aren't uh, cognizant about the impact of your surroundings. So, you know, what are the kind of places and spaces in which you're more creative? Well, it's funny that we think about that only at work, but we don't think about that as at home. And so I immediately set out to say, well, I want my home to be a place of energy and creative as well. And so I actually went and bought like this old rundown grocery store, community grocery store. I turned it in my house. And every time that I would come home into this house, I got new energy. And so it was just like, it's like these sort of things that I learned uh, from these other creatives, um, just really end up uh, adding up a lot. I love that. And that's so important. You're, you're so spot on because I find that there are places in my house, uh, or even outside my house where if I'm sitting there, I can do better work. I can do different types yeah. of work. I can do more. If I'm trying to think about or create a keynote or a podcast, there are places where I know that if I'm there, I've got a higher likelihood of coming up with great stuff. So it's <laughs> it's interesting. I don't think I ever really was overly conscious of that, but you brought yeah. up a great point. Can I give you another one? This yeah. is it's, it's very related. It's creative rhythm. So like uh, creative timing. So I, I found that I was I was getting up in the morning and trying to work on ideas. And I, to be honest with you, I'm terrible. I can't come up with great ideas in the morning. But I was scheduling all my time that way. Um, I have a friend who's an incredible designer. He, he comes from a military background. This dude is up at 4 a.m. cranking out better stuff before I even get out of bed. And he's amazing from like 4 a.m. until like 9 o'clock. This guy is on point. You know, and I realized, you know, me, I'm better like late afternoon. Like that's kind of my time. I have another friend who's best like 10 o'clock till one in the morning. They do their their best work. Mm. And what I realized is that the best creatives in the world understand their creative timing and they just go with it. They don't fight it. Mm. <laughs> they get all the administrative stuff and all that stuff done during the other times. But their creative time is sacred to them because they know their body, whatever. It's just like it works out for them. 
Um, and that's something also that people kind of know, but how often do we actually just actually listen to it and, and follow it? Oh, it's totally, totally true. I mean, there are times where I know for myself, I'm better at doing a podcast at certain times and doing something like this than uh-huh. at others. You know, I wouldn't typically do this at eight o'clock in the morning because I don't, it takes a little while for my, my personality, yeah. my energy to get going. Um, sure. so yeah, that's such a good point. So paying attention to that and really for those people that might be listening and saying, you know what? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know when my best time or most creative time, or maybe even yeah. more, more my intellectual time, you know, if I'm doing something that's involving really heavy thinking and problem solving and strategic work, there's probably a time in the day that that's going to be better for me than other times of the day. Yeah. I love it. Good. You want to give us one or two others? I love this list. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, it's, it's a pretty big list. I mean, some of this stuff is also uh, taking like another one I, I often think about is just taking risks. I mean, I know that you could probably do a whole podcast just on that. Um, but you know, knowing when to take those risks, uh, listening to your creative intuition, how many times have you probably known that, like, I know this is going to work out, but you can't actually figure out, you don't know why it's going to work out. You just have a great gut instinct on it. The best people that I found, the best entrepreneurs, they just trust their gut instinct. And that was a that was hard for me early on to do that. Uh, but I've learned just be like, hey, there's something about this that feels right. I'm gonna go with it. I'm not gonna make a bad move. It doesn't mean you're you know you're gambling, but but you are willing to take the risk. And I I think that that has been proven out more and more. Uh, people who take those risks see the the return on those rewards as well. Mm-hmm. I love it. I, I love that absolutely. And that's a big part of it. You know, you think about so much of leadership is that it's taking risks, it's helping people, other people. And risk is not. Some people look at risk as just financial risk or making a yeah. big decision and it might go the wrong way. But risk is just stepping outside your comfort zone. I mean, it's doing something either maybe you haven't done before or something that makes you uncomfortable because you have done it before and haven't had the experience you want. That's a risk. And that's such a key you part, mean, not just of creativity, but just of growth. I think being always a little bit uncomfortable has been a great place for me, um, which means that I have enough to say yes to something, but I'm also a little scared about saying yes to it. That's yeah. the kind of risk. It is you're constantly uncomfortable, and when you're done, when you when you have that uncomfortability, you're always improving. You're yeah. always growing, and that keeps you in the game um, yeah. and keeps you coming up with new ideas. It's so funny. I I see and I know. I talk to people about this all the time. Think about how, and I have some sometimes very very uh, you know candid conversations with leaders uh, that there's a, there's a lot of fear that people have, and it might be hey taking on that new role or promotion, mm-hmm. or it might be, you know, now I've got this new problem I've got to tackle. And there's so many people that don't do it because of that fear. They don't take, they don't go for that new opportunity because of the fear and the mm-hmm. fear of failure, the fear of success. We've heard about that too. Um, and in reality, sometimes there's comfort in knowing that, Hey, you know what? Everybody deals with it. They may not show it, but everybody deals with it. They just manage it a little bit different and manage through it and lead themselves through it a little bit. Better. Like also, you if you do it enough times, you just get comfortable with being uncomfortable, mm-hmm. and that just kind of becomes the, the place in which you live. And then it it's not so that doesn't feel like such a big risk, right? Right, exactly. Yeah, it's yeah. like anything. I mean, you could equate it to anything. You could equate it to anything physical. If you're running, I mean, the first time you get out there, it's painful. Oh. Doesn't mean when you run and keep running and keep running that it's not painful or uncomfortable, but it's a little less uncomfortable because 
you've done it and you've had some success. Now, granted, you're running a longer distance. That might be more uncomfortable. You still have the confidence of knowing what you've done in the past. So you think of how critical that is. Yeah. Yeah. I find it. Anyway, I have, I have 10 things, you know, if your listeners want to hit me, I'm happy to give them all 10 things. I love it. Awesome. So I want to relate this also to leadership. You got a lot of leaders that are out there um, that are, are, are really, I think, relating to what you're talking about. Why is creativity important as a leader? Why is it important to help breed that creativity in the organization? Well, I, a few reasons. Um, one, I think that it's part of surviving the world that we're in today. I, I think I think the world requires disruptors, game changers, and that requ- and and that requires people with creative thinking. And all creative thinking is is really understanding the culture of what people want and desire, and then creating the products, services, brands, right to meet that. And I think that takes a. I, I think that is creativity. And it's finest is being able to come up with something that matches what people want that. And then you can apply that to the business itself. You can apply that to employees mm-hmm. um, in, in, in retaining or, or, or getting them it, or how your product evolves. I, I think that's so important. Everything is to constantly never feel like something is set. You're mm-hmm. constantly in, innovating on top of it. Absolutely. So I, I want to go back to something you said. You talked about the the importance of knowing your timing and kind of when you're best at certain things. If I'm a leader and I've got a team of people and I'm trying to get them to work together, but I also am acknowledging that that people are different at better at different times mm-hmm. and it could be whatever 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 aspect they might be better. How how can a leader effectively leverage that? Um, when they've got a team of people that they're trying to get to work together? I know that's a tough question to put you on the spot with that, but I'm just interested in your opinion on that. Well, I'll, I'll tell you how I've solved it. It's just being flexible, uh, being okay with it. I, obviously, as a as a CEO, you want control. You want to you want you know, to know when people are in, when people are out and start and stopping. I, I don't think that's how the world's working right now. And so I, I have found that I have to be okay with the flexibility mm-hmm. in allowing people to be their best when they're able to be their best. And that has worked out so far. I mean, it, it's it's uh, it, it feels a bit dangerous at times, but I think that's the way that people actually operate. And now we're seeing results of that. And so um, I, I found allowing people the, the flexibility to do that mm-hmm. has been a, a pretty big win. And, and I think that's important. That is a risk for a leader, especially one that has been used to leading an organization yeah. with kind of tight control. You've got it. That mind shift has got a shift. That mind mindset has got a shift from the old way of, okay, a full-time job works from eight to five or nine to five, whatever it is, it doesn't work that way anymore. I mean, you know, I think that's what's happened with the the virtual world and the pandemic is it really has eliminated the boundaries. It's not the typical, the way we work today is not the typical way that anybody works. So that's a great point. I think leaders understanding, listen, you've got to treat your people as though you know, regardless of whether you do or not, that you know that they're busting their butt and working uh, extremely hard to give them the flexibility to do it in the way that works best for them and when it works best for them, um, I think is really a good takeaway. I And I think that all the um, the reasons not to do it, I, they, I still think they exist. I think this, the fears are legitimate. Um, however... Um, <laughs> just there there's risk and reward in everything so if you keep rigid to your times right and you want people in and clocking in and clocking out at certain times and you want to know where everyone is at all the times of course there's risks and rewards to that too 
same thing here. There's still risks and rewards. I just think that your the the rewards have become greater than the risks now, um, particularly since the pandemic. Absolutely, totally agree. Um, so as you think about, you know, I, I know a challenge for a lot of leaders. They lead an organization that has different generations. You've got different types of personality styles. You've got different experiences and backgrounds and whatnot, and that's all part of leading in diverse and really strong and powerful organization. What is important for leaders to know about leading the younger generation, especially those that may not have had a lot of experience with it? What are some of the things that are really critical for them to know? It, it, it is such a wild time. Um, generational thinking, that this is where I spend the bulk of my time is just thinking about how different generations, um, particularly in America, but any industrialized country really, um, how these different generations think and, how, you know, what are the driving factors and value systems allowed to, for everything from how they vote to how they buy a product or subscribe or download. And um, and that includes leadership. And so the um, there, you know, leadership that has existed today, largely these are boomers or older Gen Xers that are in positions of being CEOs and in, in the C-suites of business organizations today. The way that they grew up and the culture and the sort of value systems that are in their work DNA is completely different than the value systems and work DNA of, let's say, Gen Z today, who are just really entering the workforce. They're wildly different. And the the, the riff right now is that this sort of top down, the boomers, they sort of they came from, look, the world had to be organized and there had to be almost, you know, they grew up during a time of war. I mean, it's sort of like there is a hierarchy to the world and that businesses are best run when there's structure in that way. And that's why you see a lot of the corporations that we do today. They're very successful in that way. There's nothing wrong with that corporate sort of entity. It's successful for a reason. But Gen Z, like they don't even value the the ladder. Let's say climbing the ladder, right? That's like a thing you and I probably grew up with. You want to get somewhere in your career, you 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 go up the ladder. They don't even want your ladder. They want to build their own ladders, right? They want different. They even want they want a different structure altogether. And so it's just a completely different way of thinking. Um, and it's much more. Uh, let's say if this one's boomers are sort of top down, this one's much more bottom up. Mm-hmm. And neither is right nor wrong. Although that's how it's approached in the workplace. <laughs> and but if you understand each other's point of views, I have just found that it can be really quite successful because both are bringing things to the table. By the way, this is I, I go and I give a talk on this, right? Like this is kind of sort of what I do is really how those different generations meet each other um, is is almost key to a successful organization today, I think. Yeah, that's amazing. I love what you just said there. You know, that's not about climbing your ladder. They don't want to climb your ladder. They want to climb their own ladder. How can a leader tap into that? I mean, how do they, is it just as simple as asking or what can they do to really understand and really, and and help somebody in, in Gen Z get to where they want to get to. And at the same point, align with where the organization is going. Yeah, it's difficult. And again, because the 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 your instincts and your DNA are just coming from different worlds. Really, they really are. And so it is very difficult. Now it takes um it takes someone with grace and with humbleness as a C been who someone who's been very successful, right? Their CEO doing it their way has led them to success. It it's almost humbling to be able to say, okay, I'm actually open to a new way. Um, and allowing a younger voice into that room. Um, is almost, it, you have to be willing to do it. 
And it can be very hard um, because some of the voices that you hear may not be what you actually want to hear. And again, inexperienced Gen Zers, but passionate and have a ton of energy and they have a pulse on culture and what people want. If you allow them into the room you can, and you're open to that, you're going to see a lot of, uh, you're going to see a lot of win on come with that. So one of the things that with the organizations that we work with um, and their major organizations is oftentimes building like a Gen Z uh, board, if you will, the same way that you might have a board of advisors for your entity um, that you trust and respect. Well, what's that for your youngest consumers? What does that look like? Um, mm-hmm. And allowing them to have that voice into it can be a, a an easy way and almost safe way into uh, hearing their voice into your business. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. I love that. That's a really good, uh, a great point. And I think that if you think about that, you know, the organizations that really do a great job of that, I think they they benefit not only from tapping into the best of the talents in Gen Z and helping create a great growth path for them and help them be more impactful in the organization, but also attracts more of them to your organization. So that's what people are looking for. They're looking for a place to go where they can truly make a big impact and grow and have an organization that's flexible enough to identify what's going to help them do that and give them the path to do that. Yeah. Yeah, and I think you, what you're talking about is I, I liken it to gravity. If your organization has gravity, um, that is that you're not out there shouting, saying, hey, look at us. And this could be your marketing or it could be your employee, to, to getting employees to come work for you. Hey, look at us. We're doing these great things. We're so cool. Like that works great for an older generation. It doesn't work at all for Gen Z. Gen Z, you, you need gravity that they turn and look at you and go, that's a product I want to buy. Uh, that's an organization I want to work for. That's a, a company I want to support. It's a different in and out. Um, and, you know, a lot of the work that we do is, is in advertising and it's a complete shift from yelling at your consumer base that you're relevant to actually becoming so relevant that people come to you. And that is the only way to get Gen Z because you can't, there's no mass market for them. You can't just blanket mass advertising. It's too niche and it's too expensive. You have to have that gravity in. Wow. I love that. I love that. You got so much going on in my head right now, and I'm sure everybody else is feeling <laughs> that way too. That's a really interesting concept, you know, and that's the, the I think what you're bringing up is a lot of stuff that people are um, unconsciously incompetent about. I mean, a lot of leaders don't know that they don't know. They don't realize this. They're yeah. just thinking, okay, what worked and has worked for my career for multiple generations is what's going to be working now. That's not the case. And it's hard to admit that it's not because you have been successful in that. But look, every industry, every company, I'm, you know, you see this, this is your world. Each one gets disrupted, turned upside down. Things that were super successful suddenly, like o- almost seemingly overnight are not. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, oftentimes that's because there's been a uh, refusal to acknowledge the a new generation of thinking into that, into their, into their systems. Excellent. Well, you run Arch Rival. I'd love to have you share briefly about what you do. And I'd also love to know where you're going. Like, what's your vision with the organization? Sure. Well, Arch Rival is a youth culture agency. So we help brands understand young adults, teens to 20-somethings. How do you win the hearts and minds of your consumers is the game. And so, um, yeah, that looks different. We, we, we work with different organizations. I mean, some of them are very much on the cusp of youth culture. They would be today. If you would like, who are the brands winning with Gen Z? It's those there. We have a completely set of different set of clients who, um, are not there, but really want to be, they're building products and services that should be relevant 
to this generation, but maybe they whiffed on historical, you know, marketing. Maybe just they're they're big and old and need a complete redo, or maybe they're brand new and no one knows about knows about them. Wherever you are today, becoming more relevant tomorrow. That's really what we do. And so, if you're an organization that's already on the cusp, staying relevant is very difficult. And those that are here and want to get there, um, you know, we help them help them get there over uh, over a period of time. I love it. What's the, as the leader, as a leader, what's the thing that keeps you up at night the most? Oh my gosh. Probably, you know, it's probably no different than what anyone else would, would say about any business, which is just, you always feel like, um, you know, am I, am I hitting the right marks at the right time? You know, I, I feel that way about our employees, about our clients, about our, um, you know, our relationships, just, are we, are we, are we striking the right tones at the right time? So much is changing. Um, you know the techno- technology and the innovations that are coming out. Are we are we adapting quickly or too quickly? Uh, you know, it's probably all the exact same things that um, you know every company is struggling with. The one thing that I feel really confident is we have a great point of view on the cultural side, so uh, we feel like we we hit the mark there. But beyond that, I, you know, I'm no different than anyone else in terms of of uh, trying to predict the future and and meet it there. Um, is, uh, that's, uh, that's probably every, every CEO's, um, dream or nightmare. Yep. Absolutely. Well, I I've loved our conversation. This has been phenomenal. You've, you've, uh, you've enlightened me. You've got me thinking about a lot of stuff that I wasn't thinking about before. So, uh, that's always very, very valuable. If people want to engage with you, Clint, or they want to learn more about our tribal, what's the best way for them to do that? You just hit our tribal.com. And by the way, I, 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 there's a there's a ton of insights there. Uh, we do we do a constant writing um, called Almanac where we published our thoughts on culture and, and Gen Z today. We actually just did one on Alpha Generation, which is basically if you're 12 or younger, um, you can read about some insights that we have there. We did an incredible uh, amount of research with them. Um, and then you know if if any of the stuff's of interest, I, I do a state of youth culture presentation. It's like an hour long um, that I give to any organization um, if they're interested in hearing our point of view discuss some of the things we did today of course a lot of others um easy to find on our website i love it awesome well we'll have all that in the show notes clint thanks for joining this has been phenomenal uh you are a true leader and you are tomorrow's leader so appreciate you uh, dedicating your time to the show well i appreciate you doing this uh the podcast is awesome and um i'm uh, lucky to be on it so thank you for having me well thanks my friend and thanks all for joining today we've been here with clint runs the ceo of arch rival we'll have everything in the show notes as i mentioned before before be sure to check him out before uh, be sure to check arch rival out and as always like share subscribe all that kind of good stuff go down below give a five-star review and we'll see you next time take care thanks for joining us on today's episode of tomorrow's leader for suggestions or inquiries about having me at your next event or personal coaching reach me at john at loritogroup.com once again that's j-o-h-n at l-a-u-r-i-t-o-g-r-o-u-p.com thanks lead on